be challenged sometimes has its benefits and then not so many benefits. <laughs> this morning we're in Luke 23. I would say, led him away, they made hold of a certain man, Simon, a Syrian. that he might bear it after Jesus. And great multitude of the people followed him, and women also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourself and for your children. For indeed the days are coming, in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do, for if they do these things in the evil, what will be done in the God? There were also two other criminals led with them to put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Also written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged, blaspheming him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And Jesus knew what Jesus for the words of our deeds. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. God, we're thankful for opportunities to go out and be your hands and your feet. Father God, I thank you that we are the ambassadors of Christ. Lord, I pray you give us all boldness, that measure of spirit Jackie, Jackie was just talking about, that we will go into. On our brother as he comes forth to teach us that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts of compassion to take what we're given and to go give it away. In Jesus' name, amen. How's everybody this morning? We doing okay? <laughs> oh, Tyler's like a foot and a half too tall for me. Now his music will be a foot and a half too short. So this morning as we come to this text, uh, I told Don when he was sharing, he asked how far to read today, and I 
I said, today, we're going we're gonna to leave Jesus on the cross for a week and, and contemplate a little bit about what's going on. But we know one of my favorite messages of all time is it's Friday now, but Sunday's coming. And we know that uh, as we study, as we read now about the crucifixion, we know the glory that is on, on just the other side of it, just three days away. And I think sometimes we lose sight of some of these pictures. Because we've seen it so much, we don't understand the, the level, maybe, of, uh, of the despair of those who are there. Of the disciples who just had their whole world come down. And even though it's only 24 hours long, if you've experienced it yourself, where one set of bad news becomes a little more, becomes a little more pretty soon, uh, you find yourself in, in utter chaos. You feel like uh, everything is falling apart. And so that's exactly where they are. And quickly we remember Jesus is taken and He's tried and He goes before the Sanhedrin and and he is abused by the guards there. He goes before Pilate, is abused before the guards there. Goes to Herod, abused before the guards there. Comes back, and once again to Pilate. And again, not only is abused by the guards, but, but ultimately scourged to try to appease the crowd. And now, last week, the crowd turned, he turned him over to the crowd. Here you go, innocent man. Do with him as you will. And so the Roman soldiers will take him. And today, he's on the, the path, the Via Della Rosa. If you come with us to Israel, we'll walk it. And the interesting thing today, when you walk the Via Della Rosa, it's very packed. The streets are not very wide. Um, I couldn't probably get my truck in the street. Pretty sure. Turning radius on my Dodge is not super tight. So if I did get it in there, I probably wouldn't get it back out. There's not enough room for the vehicles like we have today, but they have, you know, little smaller trucks, smaller um, uh, trucks going back and forth while people are walking right in front of the street, uh, a storefront next to storefront next to storefront next to storefront, almost no empty space. It would have been exactly how it was at the time of Christ. If you had something to sell, where are you going to sell it? Downtown Jerusalem. Well, that's what downtown Jerusalem looks like. If you're a Roman and you're going to crucify a criminal and you want everybody to get the idea of what's going on so that they don't break the law, where do you march him? Right through downtown. That's the Via Della Rosa. Still today, as you're walking down as pilgrims, still today, take that journey. Walk down that road, that path that takes you from the Praetorium where he would have been scourged, where, where Pilate would have brought him out and, and said, Eke, Eke homo, behold the man. Turn them over to the soldiers and they would have marched from there down to Calvary, right? The place of the skull, the rock quarry. Well, think about it for a moment. If you're Jewish, how is it that the Jews... Uh, uh, did capital punishment, how'd they kill somebody? They stoned them. Where would you do that at? Probably at the quarry, right? Well, yes, there's rocks everywhere, but let's, let's face it. If you're, if you're going to do a public stoning, we're going to do it where all the stones are. And that quarry, as they dug the stone out of that quarry, as they 
pulled it out to build the various buildings in the whole area because there's, no, there's, there's very little wood. What do you build with in Israel? Stone. So you come out and you cut stone. And as you cut that stone, you got chips and stones laying on the ground. And so the Jews from days way long back, if they took somebody up to be stoned, that's where they drag them out of the city. He didn't do it in the city street. He drug them outside into the quarry. And that place began to be known as the place of the skull. So much so that they started seeing a skull just in the rock where they were pulling the rock out of the quarry. So the Romans, when they would crucify somebody, they'd go to where they had always put someone to death in Jerusalem. So they walk them down Main Street, out the gate, to the rock quarry, to a place called Calvary, which just means the skull. The place where they took everyone to die. And so as they're taking Jesus, the journey has begun. It says... As they led him away, this is all Luke tells us about it. As they led him away, as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. So we, we, we have to, I don't know if we have to, but it's good to get the picture in your mind. As you walk the Via Della Rosa, tradition says Jesus fell seven times. Memory serves me in the Synoptic Gospels. I think there are three that we can definitely point to for our traditional. Uh, but along the journey, it's certainly not hard to realize that a man who had been beaten, who had not had very much sleep, who had been scourged, so probably over most of his body was lacking skin. It's just bleeding out everywhere. It's not hard to believe that he might fall under the weight of a cross. So as he's going, it says they seized Simon of Cyrene. Now Simon of Cyrene is an interesting character. He just appears on the scene. There's actually a song about him. And the crazy thing is not that he's mentioned in Scripture. The crazy thing is how much we know about this guy. For example, do you know his kids' names? Alexander and Rufus. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us. How do we know anything? The Bible tells us his kid's name. Why is that? The story that's told about Simon is that he was on his way to Passover, right? And his children he had with him coming alongside carrying the lamb, right? And, and you would want your kids as you're teaching them about Passover and you're teaching them about sacrifice. And you want to teach them about responsibility, right? So, that, so he probably gave his kids responsibility over the lamb that they were bringing for sacrifice. And as they're bringing the lamb... Into city, all of a sudden there's a tumult and a bunch of Roman soldiers and people bringing uh, three criminals to a crucifixion. And as he's standing there with his kids, maybe a Roman soldier just grabs a hold of him and says, Hey, you, you carry the cross. And I wonder sometimes why, why do you think, why of all the things, why, why did Luke want to tell us that? And I'm reminded of all the times in the Gospel of Luke that we heard this phrase. And he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. 
And then as Jesus is headed to the crucifixion, you get an example of what he means by that, an illustration. Because sometimes we make that illustration seem a lot, a lot nicer, don't we? It's not a gruff soldier that's grabbing us, and, and he's not pushing us toward a, a man that's barely recognizable, and certainly his blood's all over the cross, and we don't think about the fact that when you would have picked up the cross that he was carrying, his blood was all over that cross, now it's all over Simon the Cyrene. He can't turn around and say, hey, hey, wait a minute, my kids, my kids. No, the crowd starts going, the Romans start hollering, and off he goes. On his little journey down Main Street, on a day when he was going to teach his kids about the sacrifice of Passover, he carries the cross for Jesus. The Gospel of Mark Tells us this in Mark 15, 21. It says, They compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, the next thing I do is ask myself, why would Mark say that? Why would Mark tell us about his kids? Unless the people that Mark was writing to knew Alexander and Rufus. And how would the people that Mark was writing to know Alexander and Rufus unless Alexander and Rufus were part of the church? Now we don't know how we got from Simon of Cyrene carrying the cross for Jesus to Alexander and Rufus in the church, but I can tell you in Romans chapter 16, verse 13 in Paul's epistle to the church in Rome, he says, Greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. That would have been the wife of Simon, Cyrene. We come to the Bible, it's not like there are 50 different Rufuses and we have to figure it out. Right? It's mentioned twice. Alexander and Rufus, greet Rufus. So something that happened, something happened that day to Simon. Something happened that day when the Romans interrupted him and he carried the cross and maybe he gets there to, to, uh, to Golgotha and he, and he, they relieve him of the cross and they put Jesus on and they, and they put him up in the air and we know for the next several hours he'll be there on the cross and there's going to be a variety of interactions that take place. But if I'm Simon, I want to know where my kids are. Wouldn't you? And now if the kids were bright, and I would assume most of the kids back then were, they, they'd have followed the crowd. Well, Dad's going that way, so I guess that's where we're going. And they would have heard and seen all the things that happened on the way up to that stone quarry, Golgotha. The song that they wrote about it, the father turns around and he finds his kids. And he goes running over to him, and his kids are crying. And he's, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And they say, Daddy, we lost the lamb. Well, that's not hard to imagine, is it? Taking care of a lamb in a crazy crowd, thinking you're going to the temple, finding out you took a side route, and now you're standing at Golgotha watching a crucifixion. Something about that day 
took Simon's life in the direction it was going and changed it. So that later on we read about Alexander and Rufus and the mother, their mother, all being part of the greeting in the church in Rome. When we get to heaven, maybe one day we'll get a chance to ask them, how's that story go together? How did all those pieces fit? But it's interesting as we look at it that this is the thing that Luke wanted to make sure we understood. Do we understand what it looks like to take up your cross and follow Christ? Because He was on the way to His death. Are we willing to pick up our cross and follow Him? Are we willing to say, I'll be counted with you, Lord? The whole world is against Him. At least that's what it looks like out there that day, isn't it? The whole world is against Him, turning their back. And so on that day, it's that time, it's that moment. I think Luke decides to bring this to our attention. In Luke 14, 27, Jesus said, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. And here in Luke 23, Luke tells us this, As they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross, to do what? Carry it behind Jesus. Now for Luke, from this point forward, you know, I always want to ask myself, I always ask myself when I'm looking in the Gospels and and what the gospel writers are telling us is why. Why are you telling me this? What, what's going on? Now, remember last time we saw Barabbas release and we talked about the idea. What a great picture that is of us, right? Because I was guilty. I was a murderer like Barabbas. But, but Jesus Christ is releasing me. It's, it's His sacrifice that's going to set me free. It's an illustration. I don't mean that universally everyone is set free because Jesus died on the cross and No one needs to repent or turn to Him. I'm just saying it's a picture, right, of the guilty being set free and Jesus Christ taking upon Himself that person's position, right, that place, to the cross. And then I look here and I go, and we see the the crowd shouting out, crucify Him. But now as we go, we're going to be seeing like a panorama of people who are sympathetic or mourning or crying out for what's happening to Christ and people who are mocking. Because really all throughout life we're going to fall into one of those categories, aren't we? Jesus said you are either for me or against me. And so we look. And, and it's interesting because I as a writer, as a writer, I should not have said that. I have somebody who likes to play around with writing I would have, it once I set up the story like Luke does so well, that says that it's the dregs, it's the, the prostitutes and the sinners that were coming to Jesus, and the stories that Jesus told about the scribes and the Pharisees being angry about the, the lower class people coming to Him. It would have been really easy for me, moving forward and talking about the crucifixion, to continue that pattern. And to say, well, it's all the dregs, all the dregs, all the cast-offs, all the castaways. They, they were looking upon Jesus, you know, mournfully. And, and it's all those other people, the, the well-off, the rich, the well-to-do. They, they, they were mourning, uh, or they were not mourning, they were, they were 
criticizing and calling him out as, as they went on the way. But that's not what Luke does. We'll have a representative from every social group, part of the mocking. And we'll have a representative of all social groups as part of those who mourn it. Because the Bible says that he saves those from every tribe, nation, and tongue. That all types, while Paul might say not many wise, he didn't say not any Why he might say, not many strong, he did not say, not any. So we see this as we look, we're going to see this begin. The first group we see here are the women. It says, and there followed him, in verse 27, a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. So, So it was not just women, but they're kind of in the forefront. Luke says it was a great multitude of people and of women. And now instead of shouting, crucify him, crucify him, now they're mourning. They're mourning him. Oh, look at him. What's happening to him? What are they doing to Jesus? Part of that would have been because the trial happened so quick after his arrest in the middle of the night the day before that this is about the time everybody else is getting up. Right? It's Passover. Nobody is thinking, hey, I got to be up early tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Jesus is going on trial. We all want to be there for him. No, nobody knows. They wake up on Passover day and they think that they're going to go out and just have a normal Passover time, right? Where we're going to celebrate, we're going to have this time together. But, but what they find out is, you know, that nobody had Facebook back then. So they couldn't tell everybody what was happening everywhere around the world in a second. So it took a while for it to go. Hey, they arrested Jesus. Hey, they're trying Jesus. Hey, hey, they're crucifying him. And so the, the crowd begins to gather. And of these women who are weeping and of these people who are following him, are probably some of the ones we just watched the kids describe being healed. No? Three feasts every Jewish male was required to go be a part of. One of those is Passover. So if they could, they'd have been at Jerusalem on that day. So they follow him and they're mourning and they're lamenting. They're crying. They don't understand maybe what's going on. But turning to them, Jesus says, daughters of Jerusalem. That's a, a title. But almost straight out of the Septuagint. Basically it's just talking about You who are a part of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourself. We're so sure that what's happening to Christ or what happens to a person when they die is the worst thing that can happen. Over and over and over again, the Bible says that's not so. The Bible would tell us that that's not the case. That the worst thing that can happen to you is not to stand before the living God. The worst thing that can happen to you is standing before the living God who has the authority to condemn you. To stand there without any covering. To stand there a sinner. And so he says to them, women, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Weep for yourselves. In Zechariah 12, 10 and 11, listen to what it says. Prophetically, Looking forward to this time, perhaps, and yet the time to come. 
In Zechariah 12.10 it says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace, pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced. Are you paying attention? When they look on me, on him whom they've pierced, they'll mourn as one mourns for an only child. On him whom they have pierced, they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. Weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Here you have the daughters of Jerusalem weeping. Now I believe there will be a day when when the eyes will be open, when Jesus Christ returns, and perhaps on that day there will be a time of mourning as well. But what is necessary is not their mourning or their lamenting. That's not what's needed. What's needed is their repentance. What's needed is what we, what we saw when Jesus said two men went to the temple to pray. And one of them said, thank God I'm not like that dirty guy over there. He doesn't look like he has a job. He's never tucks his shirt in. His hair is unkempt. For crying out loud, he's got a beard. And has nobody told him that beards are going out of style. Look at that. Thank God I'm not like that guy. But what does the other guy do? The other guy falls down on the ground, beats his breast and says, Lord, have mercy on me. What? A sinner. Jesus said that one, that man left, listen to the words, left that place justified. That man. What's necessary is not for the women to weep over him in the circumstances of life. What's necessary is for the women to repent To turn. Their time's not up, is it? It's not up. So Jesus is giving this warning to them. He's calling them to it. Look what he says in verse 29. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that have never bore, breasts that have never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? He looks at them and he says, look, the days are coming. The time is coming. There is going to be a judgment that occurs to Jerusalem as a result of the rejection of its Messiah. There will be a judgment. Jesus talked about it several times. In Luke 13... He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have gathered, I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is left to you, forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes. In the name of the Lord. Luke 19, he says, When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, (laughs) saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Well, now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you and hem you in on every side, 
and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Maybe Luke 21, verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Those who are inside the city depart. Let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword, be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles have been fulfilled. Jesus is looking to these women who are following Him and weeping and mourning and saying, your, your tears aren't what's necessary. What's necessary is your repentance. We're going to see a picture of that in, in a moment. But what's necessary is your repentance. Now as we look at this and we think, well yes, that's, that's what's going on. We saw the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. We talk about prophetically the rising up of of uh, Israel as a nation again. Perhaps that is part of a prophetic picture. But as we look at all those things, I don't want us to lose sight. Revelation chapter 6 says similar things for maybe the world we live in. Well, here's what he says in Revelation 6. Verse 12, it says, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold... There's a great earthquake. The sun becomes black as sackcloth. The moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth like a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll being rolled up. Every mountain and island removed from its place. And the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals, the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountain calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the wrath of the one who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Jesus is alluding to this coming judgment. Coming judgment that would happen in their lifetime. And he's never left a generation without the warning of the coming judgment for mankind. And the time, wherever we find ourselves, when we are visited by this idea, is always the same. It's the time for repentance. And then he tells us a proverb. Here's what the proverb means. If they will do this to the innocent, what will happen to the guilty? If they'll do this when the wood is green. They'll do this to the innocent. What about the dry wood? What about the dry wood? How about this way? If God allows this to happen to his only begotten son. What about the guilty? What about those who are not? innocent and when I see that then I understand Jesus as he's 
looking and drawing the description of their weeping, but they're weeping, they're weeping, maybe they're weeping over their guilt, I don't know, but they're guilty. And and it would seem as though they're weeping over judgment. And we'll look about it, we'll we'll look at Isaiah 53 in a minute. But but in Hosea chapter 10, verse 8, it says, In the high places of Avon, the sin of Israel will be destroyed. Thorn and thistle will grow up from their altars, and they will say to the mountains, Cover us. Fall on us. Hide us. When the judgment of God comes. Revelation points to this idea over and over again as we work our way through the book. It says, and yet the people would not repent. They would not humble themselves. They would not do what the one man, the tax collector, the the wretched guy did at the temple when he just beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Are those hard words to say? Apparently I don't understand it. I've never had a hard time. Maybe because my daddy beat me until I learned how to take responsibility. Yeah? I can guarantee you, I would see discipline if I did not say I did it. For a while, nobody did it, right? You guys, you guys have nobody at your house? Or I don't know? Anybody have I don't know at their house? There are three boys, me and my two brothers. My parents leave. So window get broke. Never, I don't think ever was there a time something didn't get broke. Sometimes we stole the car and crashed the car. Something bad always happened. And the first thing that would happen was dad would come in and say, what happened? And the initial response was always the same. I don't know. <laughs> I wish I could have hung that name on somebody. But somehow it always ended up hanging around my neck for some reason. Well, who's I don't know? Uh, That'd be me. Who stole the car? I did. That was my idea. Yeah. Who wrecked it? I did. Sorry. I totaled eight cars from 16 to 18. I don't care how bad you think your kids are. You don't got no idea. Yeah, I know. You look at me and think, oh, he's so prim and proper up there. I really can't imagine him doing anything wrong. Oh, Lord, have mercy. The only good news is, really, there's not too many people left alive who knew me way back in the day. So uh, not too many of the stories are going to come out. I never had a hard time saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm a a wretch. I screw up a lot of stuff. And Lord, have mercy on you if you think that's not you. Because then you find yourself in the category like these women, weeping, but not repenting, not turning. Now the judgment to come, in three days, this is all going to kind of get fresh again, right? And 50 days from there, there's going to be the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on Peter as he preaches, and he's going to tell all those same people who were there at Passover, because they got to be there again at Pentecost, he tells all those people, hey, this Jesus whom you crucified... Yeah, he is both Lord and Christ. And he commands all men everywhere to repent and believe. So they had a chance, right? They've got an opportunity. They're going to hear a message again. But the scripture tells us there were two criminals with them. Look, verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, where they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, and the other on his left. Do you remember 
the disciples fighting about who's the greatest. And one of them saying, I want to be on your right when you come into your glory. Another one saying, I want to be on your left. And Jesus saying, you think you can drink of the cup that I'll drink from? You remember? They have no idea what they're asking for, did they? You think they were sitting there going, Lord, I want to be on your right and left today? I don't think they were. I don't think they were. So here you have one on the right, one on the left. Isaiah 53 says, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to the death and was numbered with the transgressors. Died with two thieves, one on each side, in the place called the skull. When I came to Idaho, is that clock right? You guys are in trouble. When I came to Idaho in 2009, I'll hurry. In 2009, I had the coolest Harley. You would, it was amazing. Anybody remember it? Is there people still here? Yeah. Or have you, have, has everybody gone away that remembers that bike? I had 21 inch apes. You guys know what that is? So that means when you rode it, you were like this. Kathy told me my shirt, I'm so fat I shouldn't raise my hands today, but I got to tell. My, I had these big old apes, and, and I, uh, my rearview mirrors were skulls. And then every bolt on that bike was a skull. Every screw was a skull. It's, it's a design Harley does. They don't intend it for this purpose, but this is how I used it. And then on the back of my, of my uh, uh, sissy bar at seat was, uh, was a bronze sculpture a friend of mine made that's an artist of Golgotha and it was had the crosses on it and all it didn't try to make it look like a mountain it just made it look like a skull and so I go I went to lots of places where with that bike and I'd pull up and people would walk around and say man look at all the skulls on this bike and I would say yeah let me tell you about the skull there was a man son of God went to the place called the skull and died for me. And every one of these skulls remind me of what he did for me. He died. He became my death so I could become life, his life. What he has for me. Thieves on each side in the place called the skull. And the people are staring at him. But look at verse, uh, look at verse 34. So Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they... No, not what they... You guys seen the Passion? I watch it every Easter just because I, I don't really watch it. I listen mostly because I, I can't watch it. But you remember the scene when he says it in the movie, The Passion? Well, they're pulling his arm, won't quite reach the nail hole. So they're, you know, this is all dramatized. But the idea is while they're pounding the nail, he's saying, Father, forgive them. But it's, it's an incredible picture of exactly the kind of, of heart our Savior has. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots for His garments as the people stood by doing what? Watching. Everybody likes to watch a car crash, don't they? Yeah, I don't like being in them, but seems like they always draw... A crowd. 
The soldiers cast lots and the people watch. Psalm 22, which is a psalm. If you guys have time, read Psalm 22. Um, Psalm 22 tells us the thoughts in the head of the Savior while he's being crucified. He says, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me in Psalm twenty-two seventeen. In verse 35, it says, And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Now those are the religious people. They know this reference. What reference? Isaiah 42, 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He's still going to do it. Bible says he'll judge every nation. The judgment of the nations, the sheep and the goats. You heard of that one? Lord, when did we do these things for you? You remember that judgment in Matthew 25? When did we see you naked and clothe you, hungry and feed you, in prison and visit you? When did we see these things? He said, when you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. He will bring justice to the nations. But they're mocking him. So you got the scribes, they're here mocking him. The people who are just watching, open eyes, open mouths, looking at what happens. The rulers criticizing, and the soldiers mocking, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Writing an inscription over his head, right? That he was the king of the Jews. It's all part of the mocking, right? Mocking. Making fun of. It's interesting because when you put all the gospel accounts together, you, you get an interesting point of what's written over his head. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. is Ultimately, when you put each story together, that's what we have. Depending on how they wrote it, the Jews looked at it and said, don't write that, don't write that. Say he said he was the King of the Jews. And Pilate said... What I have written, I have written. It's interesting what that leaves on the cross, right? Well, maybe you don't know. Yehoshua, why? Ha-Nazaret, H. Ve-Melech, King, V. H, of Yehuda. Jesus Christ, King of the Jews, left the acronym behind Y-H-V-H Tetragrammaton that's the name capital L-O-R-D in the Bible don't write that say he said that that would have changed it Pilate said what I have written I have written but he has this over his head to mock him he has this over the head that makes fun of him they see him as less than human. In Psalm 22, 7, it says, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. That's the idea. They stick out their tongue. They, they're nodding. Yeah, he's getting what he deserved. Isaiah 53, 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, hated. We esteemed him not. He has no value. He's less than a man. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But we esteemed him. We saw him as though he was smitten by God. God must hate him. Because of all the things that he was going through. 
But the Bible said God loves him more than we can imagine. But because God loved us, he sent his son. For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. In Psalm 20, 22, it declares, David declares in that psalm, I am a worm and no man. That's how people saw him. No value there as the Son of God was dying for my sins. And then finally, the thieves. One thief looked at him. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Aren't you the Christ? If you're the Christ, save us. The same, he's just saying the same thing everybody else is saying. Other people are thinking. In Psalm 22, there's a phrase in Psalm 22. Remember I told you Psalm 22 is, is telling us the thoughts, I think, of Christ while he's on the cross, penned by David 800 years before crucifixion was even invented. And, and as he's penning this song, this psalm, he says... Um, The bulls of Bashan encircle me. They gape at me with their mouths. The bulls of Bashan was the title of the demonic. So the idea is a picture of demons dancing around, celebrating, open their mouths, mocking, seen in every face of the people all around the cross, thinking whatever thoughts they were thinking at the one who was despised and rejected. And then you have... The last thief. It says, The other thief rebuked him and said, Do you not fear God? That word rebuked is the same word when Jesus rebuked the storm. Remember the storm? Jesus rebuked the storm. Peace be still, and it was still. It's the same word Jesus used when He rebuked the demons. And He told them to be quiet. Or He rebuked them and cast them out of whoever they were in. And so here you have this man, this thief, rebuking the other thief. Don't you fear God? You're mocking God's instrument of salvation. Some way he comprehends at least some measure of that. He says, since you are under the same condemnation, and then listen to this, and we are here justly. Almost like the sound of a man beating his breast and saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm broken. We are receiving the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. We are guilty, but he is innocent. So he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That little phrase, which I had more time to delve into it, but I don't. But that little phrase, remember me, comes up over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Whenever the people would cry out to God, Remember me. Lord, remember us. Lord, look upon us. God, It was a phrase that would have been used any time the children of Israel were calling on a holy God to have mercy. Have mercy on them. Remember us. Yeah, we're a mess. We do this. We mess up all the time. But remember us, God. And here he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus will bring salvation through death not from it. Do you catch that? Jesus will bring salvation through death, not from it. 
That's why we don't have to be afraid of death anymore. That's why the sting of death is gone, because all death does is usher a believer into the presence of God. There's nothing that needs to be feared in that regard. He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He admits his own guilt. In Luke 5, 8, Peter, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Depart on me, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. The people, when they came to Jesus looking for a touch of the Master's hand, deliverance from blindness or leprosy or many of the diseases in the Bible that are a picture of sin and what sin ultimately accomplishes in our life, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, have mercy on us. They cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. In Acts chapter 5, verse 30, It says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. God exalted him to his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sin. When this man cried out, Lord, remember me, Jesus said, truly, this day you will be with me in paradise. Jesus said to that thief, just another broken guy. You and me till the wheels fall off. They're falling off today. It's going to be you and me past the wheels falling off. And we'll all wonder and question what occurs after that. But ultimately what we want to realize as we look. As we look at this story. we got Jesus on the cross and the interaction with the thieves. One thief. He's, he's an outcast. But one thief. He ridicules. The other thief. He bows. He says, Lord have mercy on me. A sinner. You see wealthy men shouting crucify him. You see wealthy men giving him a place to lie, to lay the body of Jesus Christ. You see women who would not repent. You see women who will repent. Because everyone, everywhere has an opportunity, no matter where they're at, to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he died to make us free. We are in bondage apart from Christ. And when we are in Christ, we exchange that bondage to sin and the cruel taskmaster to an eternal walk with a holy and just God who will perhaps allow things to happen into our life that we don't like, but promises one thing, I will make it all new. Every part. It will all come together in Christ. Apart from Him, according to Colossians, it will all fall apart. That's our Savior on that cross. And as this week, I just would encourage you, prepare for next week when when we'll finish that time on the cross, read Psalm 22. Hear the words, the thoughts of your Savior in the song that David wrote. See if it doesn't bring some insight to these moments. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.